Joshua 3, follow along with me. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. And after three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and, the, between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they might know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall, moreover, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Gerasite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, when they rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the ark of the covenant before the people, and when those who carried the ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the ark were dipped into the edge of the water, For the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest. The waters, which were flowing down from above, stood and rose up in one heap, a great distance away at the city of Adam, a city that is beside Zarethan, and those which were flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah and the Salt Sea. They were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground, In the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground, until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you you would uh, work through your word this morning to remind us of your great mercy. To remind us of your provision and to remind us of the way that we might approach you. We give you this time and we commit, as always, Father, that where our lives don't line up with what your word says, we will change with your help through the power of your spirit. That is our commitment to you, Father. Speak to us this morning in the beautiful name of your Son, who is our cornerstone. Amen. Last week we looked at Colossians chapter 4. And you remember it was essentially Paul's recipe for evangelism. It was sort of a quick, quick uh, synopsis of what Paul's thoughts on evangelism were. And you remember Paul said something interesting. He said, 
when God opens the door for you to have an opportunity to share what he called the mystery of Christ. He said, I want you to be ready to speak boldly. But not just to speak boldly, I need you to be ready that when God opens that door, that you are able to share the mystery of Christ clearly and correctly. Here's what I want to do with you this morning. This morning, uh, we're going to get a little bit of a geography lesson, alright? So just hang on with me. Preston's going to put a slide up here of, uh, of the area that which we read about here in Joshua 3. And uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a geography lesson because, uh, as Paul mentioned in Colossians, we need to know how to share the mystery of Christ, that shadow of the Old Testament that is exposed in character in the New Testament. We need, how, we need to know how to clearly and correctly explain it. So what is this mystery? Can I tell you that Joshua chapter 3 is probably my favorite picture of the cross in the Old Testament. It's a familiar story. You've seen it before, and we just read it. And so you think, where is the cross in this picture? Preston talked about the, uh, the creation of God declaring His handiwork. I don't know of any better place in Scripture to show you where God's creation cries out the gospel more than in Joshua chapter 3, okay? So bear with me here, because I believe that Joshua 3 uh, is really God's way of painting a portrait on his creation. Painting a portrait of the gospel on the landscape of his creation, if you will. Okay? So let me show you a couple things here. I'm going to pull out my handy dandy. I got this thing, and I've been waiting to use it. I've never, I, don't, I don't know why I have it. I just thought, today is the day to use this. I really need one of those light things. One of those red dot things, but I don't have one, so I'm going to use this today, alright? So, follow me here. Uh, I'm going to point out a couple things relevant to this story, so that by the end of this, you're going to see the gospel in Joshua 3, okay? You see the uh, body of water here at the top? That is the Sea of Galilee. It is uh, one of the most beautiful sources of water in all of that area. It is also called the Sea of... uh, uh, Kinesera, literally meaning the sea of the harp. It's not really a sea because it's a fresh body of water, but by tradition it's called a sea. And it's called the sea of Kinesera, meaning the harp, because it's sort of shaped like a harp. It's also called that because of its beauty. And for the nation of Israel, it was a source of blessing from God. Okay? There's a uh, city on the north, uh, northeast corner that is called Chinera. It's called uh, beauty and blessing. And the whole, the whole area is connotated by that indication that this is an area that God has blessed his people with. The resources, the bounty of fertilization for this whole uh, region comes from God's blessing of this harp sea. Okay? So that's the Sea of Galilee. And then coming down from the Sea of Galilee, you see this river. Alright? It's the river of the Jordan. The Jordan River literally means uh, Jordan. It literally means... Uh, descender. And so from the sea of blessing, we get the river that descends. Okay? Makes sense, right? It's the river that descends. It also connotates a descension of, uh, well, if you will, we'll find out morality and man. Because the word Jordan, Dan, literally means judgment. And so this river is also often looked at as a river of judgment. Alright? So follow me here. Put these together. You've got God's blessing, the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of the Harp, where God has poured out His blessing. 
coming down from that, descending from that, you get uh, the descension, you get the river of judgment, the Jordan, okay? And then it ends up, you guys know, this large body of water, it's the sea, uh, the salt sea, or it's also referred to as the Dead Sea. I've talked to you about this before. The reason it's called the Dead Sea is because it has a such high uh, percentage of mineral contents that not a whole lot can live in that body of water. Uh, the minerals are so high that not a whole lot of fish can even live there. And so, in a sense, it's called the Dead Sea. It has no outlet. This that you see down here used to be part of the Dead Sea, but now these are all salt deposits where, uh, over time, this body of water has uh, lowered. Uh, it's not got as much water, and so these are salt deposits left. But this used to all be the Dead Sea. But essentially, historically, there's not been an outlet to the Dead Sea. And what happens when you have blessings descending down into a body of water with no outlet, you get stagnant water. Nothing can live there. So you get all this input and no output. All right? Now follow with me here. The nation of Israel in Joshua 3 is right about here. This is the promised land. They're going to cross from here, cross the Jordan River. Right around, uh, right around here is the city of Jericho, where their first battle will be once they cross the Jordan. So they're camped out over here, and they're waiting to cross the sea or the river of judgment, the river of descent. All right? So here it is. The river of Jordan, symbolizing judgment and the descent of man, if you will, flowing out of the blessed river or the blessed body of water, the blessings from God, down into the Dead Sea. So the picture for Israel is this. Here we are standing ready to cross this body of water. Do you remember what uh, the passage said in verse 15? Uh, what the author said about the Jordan River? He said that it was at flood stage. Typically, the Jordan River is usually about 100 feet wide. Anywhere from 3 to 10 feet deep. But at flood stage, the Jordan River can get up to a mile wide. Okay? So, here's the nation of Israel. It's springtime. It's harvest time. Meaning, uh, the author wants us to know that it's not just an easygoing river. This is a dangerous river to cross. In fact, there's no way across it. And here's Joshua with what historians estimate to be about 2 million Israelites that have been wandering in the wilderness, and now they're at the banks of the Jordan, hoping to cross out of the wilderness into the promised land. All right? So you see in the picture here? Blessings from God descends down the river of judgment, ending in ultimately... Death, the salt sea, the dead sea. Here's Joshua in Israel. They have to cross judgment to get to the promised land. Picture starting to become clear? On one side is the wilderness. On the other side is the promised land. Here we stand. We've got to get across. How do you get across a raging river? You can't wait across. In fact, how are you going to get two million people across? Well, set aside the fact that there's two million people. If you're standing on one side of the bank of this river, you know you cannot get across on your own. So what do you need? You need a boat. You need a boat. You need a vessel to get you from one side to the other. Who in the Old Testament built a boat to overcome the water? Noah. What did that boat get a name? What was the name of that boat? What do they call it? It's called an ark. What does Joshua 
send into the water so that the nation of Israel can cross? What is the boat for the nation of Israel to cross the river of judgment? It's the Ark of the Covenant. It means a chest or a vessel or a boat. So how do we get across the river of judgment, Israel? We need a boat. We need an ark. Now let me tell you what the ark represents. The ark of the covenant represented primarily for the nation of Israel, it represented God's presence. Okay? Now follow me here. What are the instructions Joshua is given so that the nation of Israel can get from the wilderness to the promised land? with the river of judgment between them and the promised land. What are the instructions given? Over and over and over, in those 17 verses, I think in 15 of the 17 verses, the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned. Symbolizing, remember, primarily the presence of God. So put it together. How do we get across the river of judgment? We send in the Ark of the Covenant. We send God in first. You remember what he said? God said to Joshua, you send the Ark of the Covenant in first, you let the priests carry it in, and as soon as their feet touch the water, the water will be rolled back. What did he tell the people to do? He told the people, don't rush up right behind him. You stay back and you watch what happens when God goes in to the river of judgment. So what do we do? Standing at the banks of judgment with the wilderness behind us and the promised land across. The waters are flooded. There's no chance of us getting across. What do we do? Our only hope is a boat, an ark. Joshua's only hope was to send God in first and then the nation could cross. What happens when God steps into the waters of judgment? Look at verse 16. Let me show you this. Verse 16 says, And the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away. It's like all creation. It's like like the river stands at attention when God enters. It stands up and salutes the Creator. And it just pushes itself back. Verse 17. How firm is the foundation that now Israel gets to cross on? 17 says, And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood on firm, dry ground. So does God push the water back and leave, you know, three or four, just enough for us to wade through on our own ability? No. All the water rolls back. He sucks all the water out of the ground even, so that there's not even a puddle for Israel to step in. There's no mud, no puddles. Israel walks through on firm, dry ground. How many of the nation make it across? You see that in verse 17? Look at how many make it across. In the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. 
all Israel, all the nation, made it across on dry, firm ground. So here's what we got. We got the sea of the harp, representing God's blessing. Fertile area. Obvious blessings from God. The nation knew that. You have this river that descends down. It's the river, literally, of judgment. Man is blessed, descends down, ultimately, into death. The nation of Israel stands at a pass, needing to cross, but it's at flood stage. They can't cross on their own. What do they need? They need a boat. They need an ark. They need a way across. They need to be carried along. Who do we send in first? We send God himself into the waters of judgment. The waters of judgment roll back. Israel can walk through on dry, firm ground. Two million Israelites go through, placing their trust, placing their faith in what? In the ark, which represents what? God, his presence. How do you cross judgment? How do you cross from life into eternal promised land? A land flowing with milk and honey. How do you go from the wilderness to the promised land? You send God in first. God rolls back judgment. He holds judgment on his shoulders, if you will. God stands in the center of the floodwaters of judgment so that all Israel can go through on firm, dry ground. Incidentally, how far back is sin removed? How far back are the waters of judgment removed? Did you see it? Did you see the city that the author tells us that the waters were rolled back to? Verse 16. What's the name of that city? That it says these waters stood up in a heap, stood to attention and rolled all the way back to a certain city. The city of Adam. Imagine that. The city of Adam is about halfway up right here. All indications are that from where Israel was, it's about 20 miles that the waters rolled back. Two million Israelites walked back through. God blesses. There's a descent. There we go. There's a descent. There's a fall at Adam. Judgment enters. Ultimately, it's death. So what do we do here? We stand on the same bank between life and death. We have to cross judgment as humanity. If we step into the waters of judgment on our own, what's going to happen? We're going to be swept away by the floodwaters into death. So what do we need? We need an ark. We need God to step in and hold judgment back so that all humanity can pass through, not on shaky ground, but on firm, dry ground. How many will make it? All who place their faith in the one who has stepped into the waters of judgment. Every one of those who saw God go in and saw God hold that judgment back 
and stepped into that river. All those who step in after God make it across. You place your faith in the one who has gone in before you. The one who holds judgment back. And all those, all the nation, all God's people, make it across. Where in the New Testament do you see, once again, God entering the waters of the Jordan? The baptism of Jesus. You know where Jesus was baptized? The same place that Israel crossed the Jordan. Jesus enters the Jordan once again, is baptized by John the Baptist. You remember what happens this time when God enters the waters of judgment? The waters don't roll back this time. Instead, the heavens roll back. And the voice of the Father descends. You remember what He said? He said, This is My beloved Son. And in Him I am well pleased. Colossians 4. Pull this back together. What does this have to do with evangelism? I told you last week that we're going to start talking about evangelism. Colossians 4, remember. Paul said, When God opens the door for us to speak... To speak about this mystery of Christ. This thing that was a shadow in the Old Testament that has become clear in the cross. We need to be able to speak boldly. We need to be able to speak clearly and correctly about this mystery. The mystery of the Old Testament made clear in the cross is... uh, On one account, in one of the greatest accounts, the Ark of the Covenant. God Himself going in holding back judgment so that His people can cross on firm ground. God blessed them. They fell. In the end, they get death on their own. But instead, the ark of our new covenant, the presence of God on earth, who is Jesus, steps into the waters of judgment on our behalf, and He allows us to pass through. Now, you remember what Paul said in Colossians 4? He says we need to be ready, redeeming the time. And I told you last week that what that literally means is redeeming the season that we are in. What season are we in, believers? We are in the season of grace. The season that we are in is the season of God holding back the floodwaters of judgment. You see? On the cross, Jesus has planted Himself in the middle of the river of judgment. And He literally holds back God's judgment. So that we are in a time when He says to all mankind, Jews and Gentiles, Come on through. You can pass on firm, dry ground. And everyone who places their trust in the One who has gone in before them, will make it. They will make it. Isn't that good? God has painted in Joshua 3 a portrait on the very landscape of His creation. For the nation of Israel to see it, and historically we know that they didn't, they didn't see it. For us, hindsight is twenty twenty. 
that we can look and see that even on God's creation, even in what God was doing physically with the nation of Israel, it's for us to learn and see God has got this thing mapped out and planned out and He's trying, He's, He's, He's trying everything He can for us to see what He's done for us. So when you start to think about how are we going to do this thing of evangelism, the first thing I wanted to tell you this week is that we need to, we need to have a clear picture of what God has done for us. Believers, we need to know that we are in a season that God has held back judgment. We are in a time of grace that will one day end. And the waters will come back. And any who attempt to cross on their own will be swept away to their death. So what do we do? If you have never trusted in the Ark of our Covenant, if you have never trusted in the One who goes in before us, if you dare set foot into the waters of judgment on your own, can I beg you? Just just stand back. And watch. Watch what Jesus will do on your behalf. And for we who have already trusted, for us who have, uh, pardon the expression, who have already got on the boat, would you be reminded that God will not hold back the waters of judgment forever? This season that we are in, that we are to be redeeming, it will end. And here's our job, guys. We're on the wilderness side of the river. We're saying, come on through, boys. Come on through. It's dry. The way is strong. It is sure. A mighty fortress, we sing, is our God. A bulwark everlasting. You ever wonder what that means, a bulwark? It's like a dam. It means a water retention A mighty bulwark is our God. He is holding back the floodwaters. Swing low, sweet chariots. I looked over Jordan and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming for me. Coming for to carry me home. We all face our Jordan. We all face our Jordan. The question is, Do we have a way across? Remember what the Father said about Jesus at His baptism? In Him, I am well pleased. You want to be found pleasing in the day of judgment with the Father? Then be found in Him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, this is, uh, this is the closest thing to a Bible code that I know of. We couldn't make this up if we tried. That on your very creation, you have painted a picture of salvation. You have painted a picture of history. That, Father, you have poured your blessings out upon man. In Adam, we fell. And we descend into death. One day, Father, we will all stand 
at the river of judgment. And we could try our best to cross on our own. We can try and swim it. We can try and build our own raft. Or we can go in the way you say. We can take advantage of that bulwark of the cross that is planted firmly in the middle of the floodwaters of your judgment and justice. And we can trust in the one who goes in before us. And we can we can step out. We can step out on faith. And we'll find firm dry ground. You are our Redeemer. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus who carries us along. We place all of our trust in Him. And we begin to understand the season that we are in. That while you are not slack about your promises, you are patient. Not wishing that any would perish. But that all might come to repentance and faith in your Son. Lord, would you give us a passion to reach out to those who are we're still wandering around in the wilderness. And to shout out clearly that there's a way across. There is a way. There is a way. We place our trust in you, Father. And we sing this song with heavy hearts and with joyful hearts, impressed by the extent you have gone to to show us your love. Christ's name. Oh, for sinners slain. 
Thanks for being here this morning. You're dismissed.